0: Crikey, mates, what a glorious day. Good morning. It's good to be with all of you this morning in the house of God. It's great to be at the beginning of a week where we're going to celebrate God's goodness all throughout the week, and especially as we're going to celebrate the gift of life that comes from our Lord. And the theme all week is going to be the creator of all, the giver of all life, and as Brother Rob led us during our time of prayer. We want to pray that that a pro-life culture would be cultivated more and more in our midst, both within our church, within our community, but across our land. And we have the opportunity to participate in a small part in that as we are presenting petitions that we're working in tandem with the Caring for Women Center and churches across Oroville that we'll be presenting soon to the city council of oroville asking that our city be declared a sanctuary city for the unborn and so if you've not had a chance to sign those petitions they're available out in the foyer we'll be making them available all week and then soon we'll be packing them up and dropping them off at the caring for women's center and taking it to the next step so we can continue to be in prayer for that um, just a word on the decade of harvest that gus and Shik are involved in they're trying to plant churches in an area where the name of Christ is not known at all. And we have an opportunity to partner with them as they are training Indian believers to be church planters, to go into these tough areas and start home churches that will eventually be full-fledged churches, and they're asking that churches stand with them and the support of these church planters. Now, our missions committee has already agreed to, plant, to support one of these church planters for a full year. But as you can see, they want to plant 100 churches, and so there's a need to support 100 of them over a five-year period. So if that's something that you'd be led to find out more information about. Those videos that he mentioned are very interesting. You can contact the church office and get the link. Each one is three minutes long, so in less than 10 minutes, you can really have a fuller understanding of what they want to accomplish in this greatly unchurched area of India. Well, the great... John Wesley is quoted as saying, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Now that middle phrase, save all you can, does not mean hoard, it means economize. So instead of spending $100 for something, if you can get it for 70 But the idea is being a good steward. And though he made quite a bit of money in his own life from the sale of his sermons and other publications, he died with only 28 pounds left in his name. Because he continually gave away what the Lord had given him. He saw the need to wisely invest the resources that he had in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that the kingdom of God would become more and more known among the kingdoms of men. I think it's safe to say that if we had the opportunity to look at just two things in our lives. We could quickly determine what the real priorities are. In spite of the flowery things we say about the Christian life, about commitment, about devotion, about faithfulness, just quickly looking at these two things and analyzing them would reveal truly our most important values and desires. And those two things would be our calendars and our bank account. Whatever else we may say about the purposes of life, how we use those two things and the values that are shown in reveal the true priorities that money and possessions have in our lives. They review what we truly love. We happen to live in a culture that is just surrounded by riches and wealth. We see it in the temptation to pursue homes, to pursue greater careers, in the building of reputations, the accumulation of material possessions. For many folks, they dedicate their lives to the accumulation of stuff driven as they are to try to achieve a certain status that makes them look good in the eyes of those around them. And encouraged to do so by the marketing campaigns that we're all subjected to. You look at commercials, whether they're pop-ups online in a video, or they're on TV, or they show up in mailers in our mailbox. They tell us that in order for us to be happy, we have to have the right type of clothes, the right type of cars or vehicles, the right types of jewelry and other accoutrements, we have to look a certain way. But then what they don't tell you in those advertising campaigns is that all of those things can be lost in an instant. But apparently those are the things that we're supposed to give our energies in chasing after. And this is a problem that affects individuals, it affects companies, it affects countries. Many countries today are facing stifling debt that hinders their ability to have investment or economic growth and reduces incentives to responsibly handle resources. In our own country, consumer debt is at an all-time high. In the United States alone, 230 million people have credit cards, but only 44% of them pay off the the amount each month. And the average credit card debt continues to go up, averaging over $5,000 per person. What is striking in all these statistics is that the group with the highest percentage of, or highest average credit card debt are those 75 and older, with credit card debts averaging $8,000. Now, I would like to say that the church is somehow immune to these problems. But the hard reality, as any analysis of our church, is that there's probably more of the world in the church than there is of the church in the world. When you look at the use of time and talent and treasure among believers, they differ little than from those who are outside the church. They're prone to the same temptations and influences to get more lands, get more cars, get more money, get more this, get more that. And so it becomes then a test of the human heart on how we perceive material possessions. And I think it's for that very reason... That Jesus spoke more about wealth and possessions than any other social issue. So as we continue in our study then in the Gospel of Matthew, as we continue to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to this section in chapter 6 where Jesus will, over several paragraphs, address the importance of possessions. And how to handle stewardship and faith in a world that is not interested very much in either And yet, if it is a test of the human heart, what really has control over us, it is also a test for the Christian into how they handle material possessions. And so with that as our introduction, I invite you to stand as we read our passage for this morning. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, continuing down to verse 24. And the truthful and divinely given word of God says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thus ends the reading of God's word. I invite you to be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we contemplate the challenge of these words this morning, we know that without divine understanding given by your Holy Spirit, we're left only challenged and confused, but with no hope and no solution. And so would you guide us in these moments to look at your word, to hear it, to submit to it, to love it, and to do it. As you empower us now by the Spirit of God, for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, as you follow along in your sermon outline, we're going to look at different aspects of this text, and the first major point we have this morning is lay it up properly. Now, before we go much further, I want to give a greeting to those who are joining us online. Thank you for being with us. We can almost imagine your smiles looking back at us as we study this Word of God together. And as you home our home and rest Hopefully getting better. We'll hope to see many of you back here with us soon. Lay it up properly is our first major point this morning. And as I said over the next several paragraphs, Jesus is going to contrast worldly mindedness with heavenly mindedness. Once again, he has to correct false notions of the audience at his front of him who had been taught to believe that material wealth was a sign of blessing from God. But that emphasis on material blessing misses out the main point of a right standing before God. Wealth is not always a sure sign of God's love. And like Asaph in Psalm 73, for many centuries, believers have long struggled to understand why the righteous often have a tough time while the wicked prosper. Asaph himself grieved over the apparent ease of the wicked who around him were living in very wealthy conditions. He certainly didn't see wealth as a sure sign of God's blessing. And it was only as he entered the house of the Lord and understood the truths of God and the eternal nature of God and his righteousness that he understood what a proper perspective about wealth and blessing is. And he concludes that it is always worth it to serve the Lord, whether you have much or little. For he, ha- he ends by saying, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing that I desire more than you. I think that affirms what Jesus is saying in our passage this morning in Matthew 6. For he begins by saying, forget the earth. Now when I say forget the earth, I'm not saying don't don't take care of what god has given us i'm not saying ignore the whole counsel of god i'm just saying in this context jesus is going to make a contrast between earth and heaven so forget the earth he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth the fact is that everyone seeks some type of treasure or riches the only question is which kind and where will they be stored up And so Jesus begins with a negative command, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's a verb that's in the present continuous. It is something that is to be ongoing in vigilance and in application so that we're not working merely to accumulate stuff that will perish. I think we all have seen people who have lost themselves in the desire for bigger things. Bigger homes, bigger lands, bigger accounts, bigger this, bigger that. Jesus says, be careful. Do not put your trust in those things. And so Jesus is going to say, stop investing in one type of thing so you can invest in another type of thing. In the original language, the verb and the noun come from the same root. And so we could actually translate this as, do not treasure up treasures for yourselves on earth. But what I think Jesus is really saying is, stop storing up treasures merely for yourselves. Stop with the old way of thinking, the old way of doing things. Until now, you've been storing things up for yourselves. But the time has come to store things up for higher cause. As Jesus has done all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he reverses the natural order of things. He reverses the natural way of thinking to get us to be more heavenly minded, recognizing our citizenship and an eternal kingdom that cannot perish or go away. So as Jesus is speaking to his audience in that day, there would be two things in which people would measure their wealth. It would be in clothes and in coins. That would be a way of tangibly demonstrating the amount of wealth that you have, the fancier the clothes, the wealthier you would be, the more coins you would stack up, obviously, the more your personal worth. It's good for us to sing, our worth is not in what we own, but it is in the ultimate treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even back then, people were attracted by the fancy clothes, the displays of wealth. We're all tempted to treasure up treasures for ourselves. And it is good for us to come face to face with that reality. That we are all drawn and tempted and lured by running after things that ultimately will not last. Look at what we do in our daily discourse We hand out business cards with our titles on it. We hang diplomas on our walls. We put qualifications out for people to know what we are on our LinkedIn account. We collect things of all types. We all are in the process of of treasuring up treasures for ourselves. Now, in the immediate context, in the specific context, when Jesus says, do not treasure up treasures for yourself, the people in in his day would have had the idea and the image of stacking coins on top of the other. It's the idea of someone who is secretly hoarding money and putting it into big piles. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, do not stack up your riches. Do not hoard them. And that temptation is still in our case today, though we, we do it in different ways. We, we might be tempted to hide it away in savings accounts or in retirement funds or stock market portfolios or real estate investments. Now, the, the fact is many of those things are actually good stewardship moves. When we take the whole counsel of God, many of those things are the things we should be involved in. But hear the warning here. Don't put your ultimate trust in them your ultimate hope, your ultimate confidence. He says, do not stack up your riches where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's Maybe not something that we do today, but back in the days of Jesus, they would actually, inside their little homes, would dig into the ground, and that's where they would bury their treasures in an attempt to hide them from thieves. But what would happen if you bury things in the ground? They could be attacked, as it were, by worms or vermin or by other things, bacteria, what would chew away and destroy what they have. They would display their wealth in clothes. But what is one of the main enemies of wool, which was the main, the the one you wanted to have your clothes in, you wanted to have wool. And what's the main enemy of of wool? Well, it's moths. That's why even today we put things in our closet to try to protect our wool clothing from the moths. These were these passive ways that we could lose everything from the natural decay of rust or the natural attack of insects and moths. A pile of coins, no matter how pretty it looks at the beginning, will eventually succumb to the natural order of decay, as will a fancy pile of clothes. And so perhaps as Jesus is teaching his audience on this day, knowing that he is the fulfillment of all righteousness, knowing that the, the law and the prophets point to him, perhaps he had Passages in mind like Isaiah 51 or James 3. Listen to the words of Isaiah 51. Listen to me, you who know righteous, the people in whose, ear is my, in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever. And my salvation to all generations. You can hear that theme coming through here in Matthew chapter 6. And a similar warning is given in James chapter 5. Where the brother of our Lord, after he came to Christ in a dramatic conversion, shows that he in fact understood or at least had paid attention to the teachings of his bigger brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. For the book of James reflects many of the same thoughts found here in the Sermon on the Mount. So what might be those moths and rust that we need to worry about today? We could say, of course, literally there still are moths and there still is rust today. That is true. But a wire can be short-circuited and start a fire that can consume some of our valuables. A water pipe can suddenly burst and fill our home with water, causing great destruction. A cup of grape juice can ruin that perfect dress. A dry and dusty climate can dry out your library. An electrical surge can blow out the television or even the HVAC system. There are moths and rust that can attack all of the material possessions we have, which shows that ultimately they are all vulnerable and not worthy of our ultimate trust and devotion. Well, the idea of moth and rust is more of a passive attack, but the second one is more of an active attack. And we're taught where thieves break in and steal. In the time of Jesus, they would build their homes out of mud or clay or grass, and therefore it would be easy for thieves to dig through the walls and then to dig into the floor to find the treasures that were there. This is a common practice, even in many parts of the world today, where they don't have fancy homes and they don't have fancy safes and they don't have security systems. We see an example of this phenomenon as the people of Israel are about ready to... They actually have entered the promised land and they're starting to take over. They take over Jericho. But one of the men has, an, has a green eye and a greedy eye and a sticky finger. And he takes some of the possessions he was not supposed to take. His sin is found out and he's brought before the people. And what is his confession? He said, I coveted them and took them and see that they are... notice." Hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. That was where people would take their goods and hide them to be out of sight from those that are around them. Well, today people try to hide their their goods from those who would want to steal them. They come up with very different ways, and the advertising tells us we need to do this or that or the other thing to protect our goods. But we all know that locks can be broken, dogs can be poisoned. Security systems can be disarmed. Armed guards even can be overtaken. So whatever it is that we accumulate can be gone in an instant. Jesus warns against those who are laying up treasures for themselves on the earth, saying they can be gone in an instant, and in any case, they're going to leave them all behind. I saw one actress yesterday saying she's going to do anything and everything she can to keep her appearance. Well, bon chance. It's going to fade on her just like it's going to fade on everybody else. It's foolish to put our trust in things that will ultimately be lost. Rather better to put our trust in things that cannot be lost. Now, does that mean we should not plan for the future That we should be lazy, that we should not invest in retirement? No. We take the whole counsel of God to help us to understand how to live out wisely with good stewardship what God has given us. We know that God blesses sacrificial giving. Jesus said that already a few verses earlier. We know that God honors the one who puts his trust in him. And that's the point. What Jesus is saying is, do not put your trust in riches. Do not have a spirit of greed. Confess that Jesus... That the Lord Jesus Christ is to be our true treasure. He's a treasure that we'll have forever and an eternal kingdom over which He is King. And we will confess again and again throughout all eternity that we lack nothing. So instead of investing in the earth, Jesus says, Forget the earth, but invest in heaven. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. So in place of laying up treasures that will perish, Jesus says, lay up treasures that will endure. And for those that are used to the language of financial investment, they always talk about the ROI, the return on investment. Well, investing in the kingdom of heaven is a sure and safe investment. It's the best ROE possible, ROI possible. It's unchanging. It's eternal. It's sure. It cannot be lost. The early church had to go through a lot of persecution at different points in the first few centuries in different parts of the Roman Empire. And during one of those outbreaks of persecution, Roman soldiers broke into a local church to steal what they thought would be the treasures that they would find within. They thought they would find gold or silver or money. But one of the elders was there, and he pointed to the group of widows and orphans that the church was regularly feeding and taking care of, and he said, These are the true treasures of the church. Heavenly things cannot be lost through decay or rot or pestilence, they cannot be forcibly taken from us, they are secure. If the Lord has blessed the work of our hands, which he is often pleased to do as we obey him, as we have initiative, as we work hard, we need to recognize that we can't take it with us, but we can invest wisely and send it on ahead. So how do we invest in heaven? Well, look at your own life. You, like everyone else, have been given a measure of time and talent and treasure And so start there. How are you using that which God has given you? The 24 hours of each day, the span of life that he has given you, the abilities, the talents, the gifts, the experiences that he has given you, and then the treasures that he has given you. How are you using them? Does the balance sheet of your life show that you are living in a way that is kingdomly minded, that is focused on the things of God? Or... Like many of us, is there too much indulgence of personal satisfaction? Investing in heaven is growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Investing in heaven is growing in love for God and for his people and for others. It is giving to the church. It is giving to Christian causes. It is supporting the advancement of missionary work around the globe. It is is invested in helping schools that promote a Christian worldview. And funding relief projects whereby we obey the Lord to take care of the widow and the orphan. It's, it's supporting and serving in pro-life ministries so that we show that we are pro-life from the moment of conception to the time of natural death. It's in helping a student get to seminary so that he can be a minister of the gospel one day. It might be providing medicines for those that are sick. It might be writing letters on behalf of those who are in, in the persecuted church. There's many different ways that we can invest in heaven, but it's doing all things that contribute to making his name known among the nations and making disciples of all people. And that can be a tough lesson for us today because we're all surrounded by worldly thinking. The movies we watch, the books we read, the conversations we hear at the store, the emails that we receive, the pushes to get instant satisfaction, instant gratification, satisfy our own desires. I don't know how many times in commercials recently, I've paid attention to these words, because you deserve it. If I get what I deserve, friends, it is not going to be a fancy suit. But because I'm covered by the grace of God. I do not get what I deserve. I get eternal life with a really good God and our inheritance and an eternal kingdom. And then let's talk about so called Christian television. Our airwaves, radio, podcasts, websites are filled with messages that often are nothing more than greed and selfishness. With a thin veneer of spirituality, rarely do we hear about the cross, about commitment, about dying to self, about striving for holiness, renouncing sin, seeking first the kingdom of God. There's far too much that is about being happy in Jesus, being wealthy in Jesus, having your best life now in Jesus, how to have a good marriage in Jesus. Jesus is not the means to anything, my friend. Jesus is the end of all things and the purpose and goal of all things. And so I thought, let's have a little experiment here. These are statements that could be multiplied again and again and again, but I thought I'm just going to pull out a few of actual statements that have been made on so-called Christian television, and so we'll title this Popular Preachers Versus the Bible. My purpose here is just to expose bad teaching about material possessions. So the popular preacher says, I want to get you out of this malaise of thinking that Jesus and the disciples were poor. The Bible says that he has left us an example that we should follow his steps. That's why I drive a Rolls Royce. I'm following in the steps of Jesus. Jesus replies in Matthew 8, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. The popular preacher says, You know God never blesses sheep before he blesses the shepherd shepherds get it first then the sheep get it because sheep follow shepherds so a pastor can never serve his church or see his church prosper if he is poor james says come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire you have laid up treasures in the last days a popular preacher says, years ago, they used to preach, oh, we're going to walk on streets of gold. I would say, I don't need the gold up there. I've got to have it down here. Paul writes to Timothy and says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You may say, well, pastor, those are just isolated comments. I assure you, they are not. This type of teaching is all over the airways. May the Lord give us ears to hear and eyes to see where true wealth is found. And it is found in Jesus Christ. The one who said, do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, but lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. So how does the disciple of Jesus Christ store up treasures in heaven? I, I gave you a list earlier. But now let's look at the list that Jesus gives and the Sermon on the Mount. How do disciples of Jesus Christ store up treasures in heaven? Are you ready? Suffer persecution for the sake of Jesus. Love your enemies. Be generous in your gifts to the poor. Be fervent and sincere in your prayers. Practice humble fasting. These are not the things that you will hear And a lot of the prosperity preachers' messages. But they are what Jesus has given to keep our focus on the kingdom of God and where true riches are found. So we need to continually do a check on our own lives. Are we storing things up for the right reasons? And are we storing them in the right place? Because we all are storing up treasures. What kind, for what purpose, and where are they ultimately stored? And so we need to focus on the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We know that in Bible language, the heart is the core of our intellectual and emotional being. It's the central operating system of a person's life. So in biblical thinking, we're called to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? It's the greatest commandment. The danger then is that to love anything else. Above God is spiritual adultery. Later on, as Jesus will come back and talk about the value of treasures in Matthew 13, he's going to talk about the pearl of great price. He's going to talk about the hidden treasure. He's going to say that treasure is found in the kingdom of heaven. That ultimately, the issue of money and riches is more a matter of the heart than a matter of the wallet. It's not a question of whether you have riches or not. Some of the most godly and humble people I've ever met in worldly standards are very wealthy. Thinking of a man in Minnesota that I've known for years who tries to outgive God, (laughs) and it doesn't work. The Lord just keeps giving him more. He's one of the happiest, godliest men I've ever met. It's not a question of whether you have or you don't have. The countries that I've lived in, I have found that the poor can be just as materialistic as the rich. The rich have the resources and want to keep them. The poor desire to have the riches, and so they do whatever they can to get them. But in both cases, it's materialism. It's the goal to accumulate things. But Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So what's got a hold of your heart this morning? What really causes your heart to beat with passion? That's where your treasure is, because that's where your heart is. We can fill our hearts with many things, and many do, but are those things that will last? In other words, it's not wrong to own things, it's wrong to be owned by things. If God blesses us, he gives us things to be stewards, to use them to serve others for his kingdom purposes, and he doesn't even mind that we take delight in them as long as we hold them with an open hand so that he can exercise his sovereign right to take them away if he should choose. Our treasures lie in what we cherish is what R.C. Sproul says. We point to the examples of Abraham and Job and they were wealthy men in the Bible but they had to learn that God was their greatest treasure. So hold your possessions gratefully, joyfully but with an open hand so that God can give you more if he chooses, or if he wants to share it with someone, he can do that as well. And so we need to guard our hearts. Things, stuff, materialism is ultimately tyranny, and it's hard to serve those things. And so Jesus reminds us, take care, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Those that freely give and freely share and freely offer are joyful. And so Paul can say, I have learned to be content in every circumstance when I have much and when I have little, because he realized that ultimately Jesus was his life. We will leave it all behind when we die. Now, one of you shared a cute story with me a few months ago of how you were driving in town and you drove by one of the memorial homes and there was actually a U-Haul out in front. And she said, would you look at that? Somebody's actually trying to take it with him. I'd like to know the real story behind that, but no, we won't take it with us. But we can invest it and send it on ahead as we invest in the things of God. So you're willing to give to God your greatest treasures, which might even include you, it might include your kids. It might include your grandkids. Are you willing to offer all that you have to the Lord in his service and say, whatever you will, Lord, for as we heard a few weeks ago in talking about the Lord's prayer, your will, Father, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Lay it up properly, Jesus says. Secondly, we see, see it all clearly. Now, don't worry. The next two points will not nearly be as long as The first. Jesus begins by saying the eye is the lamp of the body. It's a tough saying. And so let's look a little more at what Jesus is saying. I think I can summarize it by saying pure eye, clean soul. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. We know the eye is the opening for light into the body. And if what the eye is allowing in is health and light and truth, then the whole person will be full of the same. But if what the eye is allowing in is unclean and untrue and unhealthy, it will affect the whole body. We're called to walk in the light, And so we need to know what the light is in the Word of God. We need to have the power of God's holy Spirit so that the eyes will truly illuminate a person's inner life. We need to walk in the light. But by nature, we reject the light. John chapter 3 says the verdict is that men reject the light because they prefer the darkness. They prefer their deeds of evil. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. And it's in that very context where he says it is the spirit of God who moves upon us to take out the heart of stone. Gives us a heart of flesh. And then and only then for the first time can our eyes see the truth of God. Can our ears hear the truth of God. And then we long for it and lunge at it and say oh God even me have mercy for I'm a sinner. That's God's work. And we need to continually pray and say, God, would you give me eyes to see? Psalm 119 has many emphases on the importance of light. I won't read all of them. I've listed a few there in the references. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things of your law. Verse 37, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 82, my eyes long for your promise. I ask when you will comfort me. And it goes on and on. Many examples in Psalm 119 that show the importance of the eye and spiritual life and walking in spiritual understanding. So we need pure eyes so that what we're letting in will lead to a clean soul. But we need to beware of the darkness. Darkness. But if the eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. The eye is given as the organ of light to see the light. But if it doesn't, it will lead the body into destruction. The gospel brings light. And it is in the gospel that we can see rightly. And if our eyes are good, then the heart will be good, and so will the behavior. And if we want to properly understand what God has given us, we need to properly understand what he has taught us. So we need heavenly values to understand earthly possessions. But it's at this point that we need to be warned. We can be programmed in such a way that we can be living in sin and rebellion and yet imagine ourselves living virtuously because we don't truly see the things of God. If all the eye sees is focused on the self or advancement or power or these other things, he can imagine himself righteous and yet still be walking in darkness. Jesus warns about walking in great darkness. So we need to pray that our eyes are under the control of the gospel, that we don't look upon stuff We don't look upon possessions with a greedy eye, or an evil eye, or a jealous eye, or an angry eye, or a covetous eye, because the motive of the eye reveals what is going on in the soul. And so this eye that is to be clear, that is to be pure, that will keep the soul clear, is the idea of being focused upon the things of God and on his kingdom. And we know that's the case because just a few verses Jesus will say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. What things? Clothes, food, the needs of this life. Have that singular eye that's focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so we need the Lord to open our eyes. And I pray that it will be your habit as you spend time daily in the word of God, that that will be your first prayer. Oh, Father, open my eyes so that I can see what you've given me. Give my heart understanding so I can receive what is there. Give me ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Give me a will that is conformed to your perfect will. Give me desires that will be pleasing and honoring to you. So that we can see it all clearly. And then thirdly, so we can serve the Lord fully you cannot serve God and money Jesus said this points to at least two things that we need to underscore we are made to have a master no one can serve two masters Jesus said for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other we were made to have a master you see we're just creatures that have been created And our master is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. But if it's not him, it will be something else, probably ourselves. And so be aware of self-deception. There's a lot of ideas out there about how we have the interplay between worship and work and play. And too often we're confused. And I think author Gordon Dahl nails it when he said, we worship our work. We work at our play. And we play at our worship. And we've gotten it exactly backwards. And we need the wisdom and grace of God to intervene, to help us to understand. Think of this, friends. If the greatest commandment is to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we should be the most serious about our worship of our holy and triune God. He should get the best of our efforts, not the rest of our efforts, after we've expended ourselves on our pleasures. What has a hold in our hearts that will reveal what our true master is? We're made to have a master, and as Jesus always does throughout the gospels, he says there's no middle ground. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. It's pretty clear we're drawn this way or drawn this way and Jesus wants us to come to him and we recognize in our flesh and our weakness we're not going to make the right decisions but as he leads us and guides us in his righteousness he empowers us to do so our marketing strategies that are all around us they're basically summed up in the expression we're trying to keep up with the joneses it means that whatever somebody else has we need to have they have two cars, we need that second car. If they have a bigger house, we want the bigger house. If if they have this or that, we want to go after this or that. We're constantly measuring ourselves up with people around us. Isn't that getting tiring after a while? At what point do you say enough? So, how about a better strategy? Do not try to keep up with the Joneses. Try to keep up with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. If he is truly your treasure. You may slow down in life to spend time with him when others around you are racing ahead. You may find that the best investment of your time is quietly sitting at his feet with your Bible open and praying. You may find that saying no to things that you might otherwise want to do because you're saying yes to the things of God become even more satisfying because he is your treasure. So notice two key words here. It's translated in the ESV as no one can serve. It's from the same root as the word slave. And that makes sense with what Jesus is saying here. We cannot be slaves of two masters. We're going to serve something or someone. The second key word is cannot. You cannot. Now we need to put to aside a little bit our own cultural understanding. Because in our own understanding. We can have a main job and we can have a side gig and we can take on weekend projects and we can do other things and say, yeah, I can serve several employers. That's not what Jesus is saying here. In the world in which he was speaking, almost everyone was a slave and they had one master and they served continually at the beck and call of that one master. They were on call 24 hours a day to that master. You cannot have two types of masters. You cannot have two master passions. So Jesus makes clear you cannot take him at his word, serve God, and money. If you're pushed to the wall today with a gun at your head, what do you really want more of? What would your answer be? More of God or more of anything else? The late John Rockefeller was the richest man of his day. A multi-billionaire. And he was asked one time, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And he said, just a little more. But of course, Mr. Rockefeller went the way of all the earth and he died like everyone else will die. And when he died, a reporter said, how much did he leave? And another guy shouted out, he left it all. It's not a sin to have money, but it's, have a, sin, it's a sin for money to have you. For you to serve money. And this becomes a challenge then when we have to think about how we handle the resources that we have given. But what if we were to ask this question first? In any purchase or any decision or anything that we do, what if our first question would be, does this honor God? How would that affect our use of our time and our talent and our treasures? Our calendar and our bank accounts and our strengths and our desires? Seek first kingdom of God and his righteousness we're made to have a master oh may it be that God works in us in such a way that we joyfully follow our Lord Jesus Christ as the master of our lives but we finish with a question who or what do you love you cannot serve God in money Jesus said the word is literally mammon it means wealth or property now at times mammon can be seen in a neutral sense But not here, where Jesus is clearly saying there's this or there's this. There's the God of materialism that is in conflict with the God of the universe, the God of heaven and earth. Riches can make a very, very good servant. That's what they're intended to be. But riches make a terrible master. But our God, who holds it all in his hands, is the most wonderful master of all. And so it frees us then from having to put our trust in our trust funds when we can trust the one who's over all things. It frees us from having to find our security and our securities, whether they're financial or material, because he's able to meet us at every point in our needs. The other day I heard the expression again. So I just ask it as a question. Do we serve Almighty God? with the almighty dollar. He calls us to be single-minded. He calls us to be devoted. He calls us to be committed. He says, look, I've already given you all these things. I've been generous with you. Turn around and be generous with others. So don't get so swallowed up in the affairs of men that you lose sight of the real values of the kingdom of heaven. Friends, it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal to trade all that you have for stuff another way of Jesus saying what will it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul don't lose what really matters because you're running after earthly matters Adonai Judson was a Baptist missionary that gave his life so that the people of Burma could hear the gospel. He was the first one that was sent to this needy and unreached area. He spent years there learning the language, learning the culture, learning the people, suffered disease upon disease, persecution upon persecution. But here's what he said. How great are my obligations to spend and be spent for Christ. What a privilege to be allowed to serve him and to suffer for him. But in myself, I am absolute nothingness. And then listen to his conclusion. Soon we shall be in heaven. Oh, let us live as we shall then wished we had done. You get it? Let's live with the priorities of the kingdom of heaven so that when we get there, it'll seem as natural as walking from one room Into the next. As Jesus will continue in the next few paragraphs, he's going to challenge us on the uh, whole idea of work and anxiety and trusting the Lord. But until we get to those passages, what are some applications from our time today? As God opens our eyes to the truth, we will repent of our misuse of the resources he has given us. Forgiveness of sin and repentance is just a way of life because every day we fall short of God's ideal. And every day we preach the gospel to ourselves and say, Christ is enough. I, forgive, I ask for forgiveness. I repent of my wrongdoing. Because the eye is the lamp of the body, we trust in the Lord to give us a clear vision of the importance of spiritual things. Scott Wesley Brown is a worship pastor, and I think most recently was in the San Diego area, but he wrote a song called Things. I commend it to you. Look for it online this week. Scott Wesley Brown, Things. And pray through this passage together. Listen to that song. He talks about the tyranny of things. Thirdly, under God's controlling power, we will invest our time, talent, and treasure in the things of the kingdom of heaven. Because he is Lord. And lastly, in his wisdom... We know that it is a bad deal to settle for mere money when we can have true riches in Christ, both now and in the life to come. I'd like us, before we get to our time, before you start shuffling putting things away, having a quiet moment of reflection before the Lord now, before the worship team's come and leads us in our last section, let's just quietly give ourselves anew and afresh to the Lord. And ask him to help us understand and apply this passage that is before us. And then in a few moments I'll close our time in prayer. Holy Father, it is at times like this in our hearts and minds that we find the struggle so real, because we we like our stuff, but you call us to love you even more. So I pray, Father, that as you work in our hearts and minds today and through this week, you would remind us that ultimately we are yours, and nothing is truly ours, and that we would spend our lives for the goodness of God and his kingdom purposes and allow our lives to be spent for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, Father, left to ourselves, we will blow it. And so we turn to you and ask for the empowering and enabling of your Holy Spirit that we'd be surrendered to you and look to you and rejoice in you and that our hearts more and more would find their treasure in you at work, we pray, Father, in us for your glory and for our ultimate good. In Jesus' name.